Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is Lou Gehrig Day with my friend Larry Sheffron. How's it going, Larry? Very good. Good to see you, Joe. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. So those of you who are uh, wondering why we're talking about Lou Gehrig today, the Major League Baseball is decided that June 2nd is going to be Lou Gehrig's Day, and it's really to raise ALS awareness and to raise some money for research. And my buddy Larry, unfortunately, has ALS. So we're going to go through and talk real quick about that. So if you're Hoping to hear more about logistics and supply chain, check out the next podcast. So, Larry, please introduce yourself and where you're at today. Hi, uh, my name's Larry Chepron. I'm currently in, uh, now today, anyway, sunny uh, North Carolina. I spent most of my life in the Detroit area, though. Worked for, did electronics for a couple of the big car companies up there. A lot of the radios that are in cars running around, I, I had a finger in over the last couple decades. And was diagnosed actually five years ago tomorrow with uh, ALS. And that was a real kick in the teeth, you know, to be told, (laughs) to be told, you know, at the age of 55 that you have three to five years to live. I've been luckier than most with ALS because obviously I'm still here. And, you know, even though my hands just barely work, they, they still work. I've been in a wheelchair for about three years. And, uh, but I, I still have my voice. I can still talk. And that's especially in a, a progressive or sort of advanced phase of ALS, uh, five years after diagnosis, that's, uh, that's fairly rare. Yep. So Larry and I grew up together. We didn't really hang out too much in high school. I always say we were click adjacent. His click was near my <laughs> click, but I've gotten to know him better since high school, uh, which was a long time ago for us. But this ALS is ALS. I've had friends who have it. It's a it's still a very rare disease. Lou Gehrig had it. That's why they're calling this Lou Gehrig's Day. They've always called it Lou Gehrig's disease, and it was basically completely hopeless for the last eighty some years. I mean, he he got it eighty two years ago. Died. Crazy. Yeah, 80 years ago. And it's, it seems to impact people who are athletes or soldiers. I know that. Slightly more, yeah, with a higher yeah. incidence. Maybe we should talk a little bit about what ALS is. Yes, please do. Because it's, it's fairly obscure. I heard something recently that said that in, in your lifetime, one, uh, in their lifetime, one out of 365 people will get ALS. So at any given moment, it's fairly rare, but actually when you stretch it out over a lifetime, one out of 365, basically, you know, pretty much everybody knows probably 365 people. That that probably means that someone you know or have known in your lifetime, at least one will end up with ALS. Right. Larry, when you post on social media, it was kind of shocking how many people had been touched by ALS, a friend, a family member, a coworker. And I mentioned my friend, uh, Deke Blackburn, who lived across the street from my, he's got ALS. Lots of people from our graduating class touched by it. It's, it's rare, but it, I also think it, the, the thing I find so troubling about it is the lack of treatment, the lack of hope. If, if God forbid any of us, you know, my listeners or myself, 
were diagnosed with cancer or heart disease or anything else, you can go and be treated. And they're going to say, well, here's your odds. With ALS, well, I'll let you talk about the ALS. Talk about the disease and also the prognosis. There, there, yeah, as I said, you know, it, it, it's a gut punch. You're, 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 they, they more or less say, yeah, we have ALS. Or, I'm sorry, you, we think you have ALS because there really there are no definitive tests for ALS. It's a, it's a process of elimination thing. But once they've seen it and enough of it, they, they can recognize it, the specialist. But yeah, uh, and there are two drugs uh, that are currently approved for the ALS, for ALS, and they'll add, you know, if they work, they'll add a month or two or three to your life. That, that, that's a, a good ALS drug prolongs your life by just a little bit. And, and yeah, there aren't a lot of diseases out there where, you know, I'm, I don't take any drugs. There's nothing I can take. I take one supplement, so I feel like I'm accomplishing something, but I don't really think it does any good. It, there, there are, there's nothing that they can offer at this point. Right. And that, that is heartbreaking that you can't be treated and to talk about what it does long term to your body. Yeah. So, so ALS is a motor neuron disease. It's, it's actually in Europe, it's known as motor neuron disease. And your motor neurons, actually, it turns out there's a wire from your brain, a nerve from your, that runs from your brain to every single individual muscle in your body. And when you want to move that, that muscle, your brain fires a signal down that nerve and it goes from, from your brain all the way through a series of connections to your body or to your finger or whatever it is you want to move. And what, what happens with ALS for reasons that are way beyond my uh, capability to understand is that nerve dies. Those nerves die individually. And usually it starts with me. It started in my left calf over five years ago. And I, I, one day on a business trip, I noticed I couldn't stand on my tiptoes anymore on that, one, on that left foot. I could on my right foot, but not on my left foot. And uh, that started a, about a five-month journey for me to, to get a diagnosis. But, but basically, you, just, you can still feel everything because that's a different set of nerves, but you can't control anything. And it's a progressive disease. And when it, it eventually will get to your diaphragm and or your neck and you will asphyxiate generally or die of complications from that. Yep. And I think you told me before, less than 10% make, may live five years past diagnosis. Yeah, I, I don't think there are exact numbers, but, but basically 90% of the people live three years and die before five I've known of people, not known personally, but known of people who died in less than a year. And certainly there are people running around that have been, that have had ALS for, you know, over 10 years and more, but they're, they're very rare. Yep. It's a God awful disease. And again, I think what's so horrible is your brain's alive and well, and your body just stops working around you and it's trapped captive. in your body. And again, the, the lack of hope is what I find so troubling. And by the way, the, there is some good news on this front uh, in terms of research, not uh, breakthroughs. The Ice Bucket Challenge years ago, that raised a lot of awareness and raised some money. MLB, Major League Baseball, has decided June 2nd will be Luke Gehrig's day, basically because ALS people, grassroots efforts, said, let's do something. And um, one of the guys who was behind the Ice Bucket Challenge, who's now passed away, I think his last name was Freights, 
I'll tell you what his name is. It's right here. It uh, was on my computer. He was a big Lou Gehrig fan because Lou Gehrig was the most famous person with ALS, and everyone's called it Lou Gehrig's disease. After he died, this grassroots effort came to Major League Baseball and said, let's do something for Lou Gehrig's day. And there's only two other baseball players that have days that are made for them, Roberto Clemente and Jackie Robinson. So June 2nd, all 30 Major League Baseball teams are going to have Lou Gehrig Day. And we're just trying to raise awareness, trying to raise money. And Larry and I talked about this before we hit record here. There's an organization called ALS TDI, which stands for ALS, whatever that stands for. Amyotropic lateral sclerosis. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the problem with disease. this disease. Is, <laughs> the name's not bad. very catchy. <laughs> yeah, but ALS TDI, which is ALS.net, and I'll put that in the link in the show notes, but it's ALS.net. They are doing a lot to, they, they call themselves the drug discovery engine for a- ALS. And that's, this is one of those diseases that, you know, is, even though Larry said it's one in 365 people will be, get it. It's not cancer, it's not heart disease, and it does not get the funding that it needs. And I think Larry mentioned that 80 years ago, 82 years ago, when Luke Gehrig got it, there was virtually no knowledge of what to do about this. And now we have some. (laughs) I try to wade through some of the technical journals to try and understand some of the breakthroughs as they're coming or, or, well, I guess breakthroughs, but but not, not curative breakthroughs. And... It's, you know, my high school biology is just left in the in the dust. It's it's so incredibly complicated where they're down to the molecular level, how these these protein molecules don't fold correctly. And and, uh, it's it's crazy. Larry, you're one of the smarter people I know. If you don't get it, I'm not going to get it. (laughs) It's it's crazy, crazy, crazy hard to figure out. And, and yeah, you look back 80 years ago where, you know, was that probably still pre-penicillin or just post-penicillin? They really, they really didn't have a cure back then, a prayer back then of finding the cure. But I think one of the things we've said before is here we are 80 some years ago, Luke Gehrig made this, this disease more, um, you know, put it kind of in the public, public eye. We still don't have anything, any cure. And for the most part, no treatment. Again, Larry's had it for five years and he's not taking any medicine for it, which by the way, this brings up another topic, Larry, talk a little bit about right to try. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of well-intentioned people out there and a lot of, you know, I, I hate to say it, but desperate people who will, who, who desperately want to think that, there's a cure out there. There's a new med that was developed this month or last month or last year that that works for a small handful of people. And and as an aside, I, I, I think it's important to think of ALS as a grouping of diseases rather than a single disease. And the ALS that I happen to have may very well be affected by a drug that's about to be developed or was recently developed. And my friend who has ALS could take the same drug and have no impact at all. And and that is a lot of the trouble that we're having. There are def- there are drugs that have been developed recently, some stem cell based therapies that are very promising, where the the person went from a state like me who's sitting in a wheelchair and can't stand up 
to getting up and walking around the room in a span of six months. And you're not allowed to try it. Well, it's more complicated than that. So a couple of years ago, you weren't allowed to try it. And then there was a federal law passed that was called this right to try legislation that said, yes, if you have an incurable disease and yes, if your doctor prescribes it and yes, if the, the drug company is willing to provide it, then you can you can use it. They, you know, they allow this parental government allows you to take this drug. Right. Unfortunately, the reality of the situation. So the, the drug I described there was one one person with ALS, and I, I, my facts may not be perfect here, but I, I know the gist of them is correct, who lobbied hard to get in and, and be allowed to use that drug. That one person actually did get that drug, but no one else has. And so, so the, the challenges are, I mean, you can imagine how litigious our society is Right. What? Why would a company who's spending billions of dollars trying to develop and get approved a drug set up a wing of a hospital somewhere in the world where they're going to give people with ALS this drug that may or may not work for them and right. take on all the liability? And so, yeah, this uh, this drug I was targeting or or. or this promising drug I was hoping to get when when this right to try and then there's a, a sort of a corollary called expanded access where under right to try legislation a drug company can allow compassionate use of the drug so if you, if you fit all the categories they will on paper at least provide the drug to you or to your doctor to 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 give you uh, the, the drug I'm looking at requires a spinal injection once a month for the rest of your life. Well, at least for a, quite a while. It's, they don't really know how, how, how that, the end stage of that works out. Yeah, my doctor, his hospital, and I have a, I have a great, ALS, a very, very good ALS doctor at Duke, was not allowed to give the drug. And even if he had been, my insurance wouldn't have paid for it. And... You know, what, what, what's a multi-billion dollar development project? How much is a dose of that drug worth? I, I'd be willing to bet based on a different drug. ALS, I, I was for about six months on, on one of the two ALS drugs that are on the market that require an infusion, a, a monthly infusion, or actually every 10 day infusion every two weeks. And I believe a, a year's worth of that billed my insurance about $100,000. Oh boy! And by the way, you worked at General Motors, pretty big pockets. Deep I pockets. have very, very, very good insurance. Yes, I, I still have GM insurance, and it's very good insurance. So I can't complain about my out-of-pocket costs. But yeah, no, no. I, Most of us are not covered like that. Yeah, I wouldn't expect an insurance company to provide, you know, to buy experimental drugs for at any price for all of their patients. It's not that this this is this is the challenge. I mean, we have a what you described there is not just uh, the right to try was all right. We passed that, but it's not the whole solution because, as you said, it's not necessarily having access. And who wants to take the risk? But I guess this is my point. Other diseases, you get them, and there's treatment. This one, nothing. My mother worked in radiation and oncology at uh, Oakwood Hospital. Now it's Beaumont, and uh, where we grew up in Dearborn. And when she started there, she said people would get come too late for radiation. They would get it and didn't have the impact. Well, now 
before she retired, they had all sorts of people coming in and being treated for many years sometimes and then being living nice lives. That was in her lifetime, in her career. Right. Nothing with ALS. We, I mean, we're making we're making some progress now. By the way, I should also mention our elected officials. I wasn't going to call them leaders, but I didn't. They, they, bipartisan support just put what was it, five hundred million dollars towards ALS research. And we just had this ice bucket challenge a few years back, and ALS TDI and other organizations are chasing this down. But if there's one thing, this isn't just about one disease because i think larry you mentioned it also is closely related to some others like park is it closely related to parkinson's some other diseases i'm getting out of my field i don't believe it's i think i believe it exists uh, exhibits similar symptoms but i my father for example had parkinson's and and my my neurologist always said nothing to do with this it's a, it's okay. it's a completely different mechanism but but once we once we have a breakthrough in this, it could have it could have impact in adjacent diseases. I agree completely. Yeah, I think there are similar root causes to to all of the well any neurological disease. You you have to get some knowledge there that's going to overflow into adjacent fields. Yeah, and by the way, the, I I have not been able to find the article since I read it. I read a newspaper article a few years ago. I think I said even sent it to you, Larry. And it said Michigan had the highest incidence of this or per capita. Yeah, I was surprised to see that. And and I, they said per, perhaps, again, this is a perhaps related to our industrial past. I mean, we, we have the automotive companies, a lot of manufacturing. But, you know, if you, where, if you went where Larry and I grew up, it looks mostly like green, right? It's, it's a very – but we were not too far from yeah. probably water or other – contaminants so the rouge river we there. still know so li- <laughs> yeah 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 the rouge river goes into the detroit river and that's where it uh, probably gets even cleaner but um <laughs> they've cleaned that up over the years but this is the reason i'm doing this podcast today with my friend larry is we have to raise awareness so if you're not aware already and i think most people are aware a little bit there is this horrible disease called ALS, and Lou Gehrig had it. So sometimes you'll hear Lou Gehrig disease. Many people are probably saying, who the hell is Lou Gehrig? Because he lived 80-some years ago. Yeah. But people my age grew up knowing he's one of the greatest baseball players ever, Hall of Famer. He was called the Iron Horse because he never missed games. I think Cal Ripken beat his record, but I would say uh, he's got his career cut short. He died at 36 years old. Lou Gehrig would probably still be on the field if he was playing. <laughs> Unbelievable athlete, but he's so durable. And that's the crazy thing about this. It strikes down. Larry is very active. I know you and your wife are always very active. Good shape. It hits people who are more health, look more healthy than the rest of us. That's the crazy thing about it. Yeah. People, athletes are more likely to get it. So, uh, veterans, soldiers, more, more likely to get it. I, I'm sorry I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it, it's on the order of 10, 15%, more likely to get Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS in their lifetime than than a standard person. A little bit more likely if you're a man than a woman. No one understands that. You, you would think by now even basic things like why why do men get it a little more likely than women or, or why do veterans get it more, more likely to get it than civilians? Nothing. No, no, no one can track that down. Don't try and convince me not to exercise. Yeah, right. I, <laughs> I don't need that excuse. <laughs> I, I think there's, yeah, yeah, right. There seems to be some correlation between inflammation 
and you know the the breakdown of these nerves or the the death of these nerves but I, that's as far as I, i'm no expert in that field keep keep me in electrical engineering i'm all right <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so i'm going to summarize and then we'll get some final thoughts and wrap this bad boy up so June 2nd is Lou Gehrig Day. Please give to your favorite ALS charity. It might, I'm not sure what the Major League Baseball has in mind, but I would suggest ALS.net, which is ALSTDI. They're, they're really working on, they're the, they call themselves the drug discovery engine. And that's what we need. We just need, we need to continue spending on this. The government's put some money forth. Well, when I say the government, that's us. $500 million, great. That's a big step in the right direction. The Ice Bucket Challenge a number of years ago raised awareness, great. Hopefully Major League Baseball's big event, which is starting on June 2nd, hopefully that. But we just have to keep getting the word out. So if um, I don't always say this. I know I say it about the Ukraine Logistics Coalition too, but please share this video. Please share this podcast because, again, awareness is where it all starts. And if you can give a few bucks, it's much appreciated because – Again, I, I, this is one of those things I, I can't help but think, what if it was you sitting in that chair? And Larry, you don't have to answer that, you know. Most of us don't have to imagine our life going that way. And when you hear people say, how do you want to die? They all have some jokey thing about, I want to die in bed with my lover. I want to die on the battlefield. This is not how you want to go. We're all going to die, but this is an awful, awful. And by the way, I should also mention Larry, you said this once before, you were on my podcast in August 2020, that you said the worst part of all this for you was the impact on your family. They get to watch, they get to watch you uh, wither away. Yeah, and that's, in a lot of ways, that, that bothers me more than anything else is I, I, I've always been one of those guys that can fix anything, you know, I, I do everything myself, you know, and, and when you... When you reach the point like I have where you uh, can't put your socks on anymore, it's, it's you know, it, 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 obviously that that's a challenge for anyone, but particularly somebody who always thought of themselves as self-sufficient. And, you know, you're luckily for me, my, my kids are in their late 20s now. The people I really feel for are, are, are the people with ALS who have young children. Because I know my kids will remember me after I'm gone before I had ALS. Right. But, but if, you know, if I had a toddler running around, if he remembers me at all, it's going to be sitting in a wheelchair. But, but it, you know, it's the, yeah, I, I won't even go into the fact that my wife basically can't work because she has to take care of me. But that isn't considered, you know, she's not disabled uh, there's no right. help for us. It's just, you know, we, we happen to be lucky enough that I, I had some savings and we, you know, we're all right financially. But so many people with ALS, I mean, if, if most people aren't, if I just reached over your shoulder at, at somewhere between age 50 and 59 and said, OK, you can't work anymore. And by the way, your wife can't either. So make sure you you're, you can still make your house payments and, you know, by the way, you're going to have to buy a, a wheelchair accessible van that costs $50,000 that no one is going to pay for. And, you know, and on and on, you know, modify your house. And right. it, it's it's such a huge impact, not only to you, but to your whole family and everyone around you. Right. You you moved down south to get out of the snow. I mean, this would be yeah. even harder to live through. Oh, yeah. Snow. I mean, I'm, I'm in a, a little electric wheelchair that, that will get stuck in a mud puddle and 
you can imagine that in a foot of snow. I, it's just, I don't, I, I, it's just, it's overwhelming how the, how every little aspect of your life from putting your socks on to not being able to open the refrigerator, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's a lot for a family to handle. Yep. And, and by the way, that again, Larry's probably best case scenario financially. You had great insurance. You have great insurance. I saw your wheelchair last time we were together. That's a pretty tricked out wheelchair. Most of us would not get that from our insurance. And it's got to cost 30, 40 grand, right? Yeah, I think I think the wheelchair was, well, the insurance billed like $35,000. There's, sadly, <laughs> there's, there's a huge secondary market on uh, the ALS forums for these wheelchairs because so many, you know, it's, I, yeah, I, they die at least three or four times a year, I, I hear that uh, I have a wheelchair that was never used or only used for a week or whatever, because by the time they got it, the person no longer needed it. Yep. And again, this hits more people than you think. And again, if you're like me, I, I could sit down right now and list just from people that Larry and I both would, you know, friends of friends had it. Spouses of classmates, other classmates had it. I used to work with a guy. I was telling Larry before we got started, I was dotted line to a guy at, over at Chrysler. And wonderful guy, had this huge life. You know, he had this giant boat, rode Harleys, just, and he was, he was a Buckeye. So he and I would taunt each other because I'm a big Michigan fan and he's a Buckeye. And we lost him. It was just so horrible to watch him go through that. And, you know, there was little things like he, he wore contact lenses. And then one day he was out of the office and somebody said, oh, yeah, he has he had to go get LASIK. I was like, and I, and I remember thinking, and I said to one of our coworkers, I go, for with all his problems, I'm just wondering why he went to get LASIK. Because I was thinking, it does not seem frivolous. And... And then the next day he said, I had to get LASIK because I couldn't put my contact in. He says, I can't, can't put my, can't bring my finger to my eye. And then I remember he would bring his lunch and I would always say, let's go to the cafeteria, Larry. Or not Larry, not Larry. I would say, let's go to the cafeteria. And he says, I can't carry a tray, Joe. I go, I'll buy it. He goes, what are we dating now? <laughs> I go, but he couldn't carry a tray anymore. And so he said, I'll just eat here in my office. And I just watched his life just shut down. And again, this is just the, that awful disease. Anyway, we don't have to describe. In a, in a lot of ways, it's it's a somewhat a silent disease because in the later stages you don't go out. Yeah, imagine, you know, think about the things you do for entertainment. And well, if I can't eat, which is very common with the later stages of ALS, actually even mid stages of ALS, going to the restaurant. And standing, sitting around while your friends eat and you can't eat, you you know, talking is very often a problem. Even getting into restaurants, even with ADA laws, don't get me started on ADA laws, where I, I, I can't tell you the number of restaurants where you call ahead and say, I'm in a wheelchair, can I get in? And they say, oh, yeah, there's only one step. That might as well be a staircase, <laughs> you know. It, it's, it, it's, and so where, I'm, where I was trying to go with that is, there, there actually are probably a lot more people around you with ALS than you know. It's just they're they're stuck at home and they they just don't go out for the for the bother or the embarrassment or whatever. Yep. So I I try and fly my freak flag flag and and go out as much as possible and uh, you know let people 
stare at me because they do. But I, I, I you know, I don't, I don't take that badly. I, I, I think it's important for me while I can to get out there so that people do see and, you know, they may come up and ask or, you know, and, and there are many people out there and not just with ALS, with many accessibility op- uh, uh, problems that, that, you know, they just don't go out because it's too hard. Yeah. Larry, I remember last time I talked to you, you said you were recording your voice, all sorts of words. Are you still doing that? No, you know, I, when it became clear to me that my voice may be one of the last things to go, I found that I was spending hours sitting, dictating words to a machine, and that really wasn't a good way to be spending my time. So I, okay. yeah. I, I, I wrote some software, and I have my own little speech synthesizer, and I'll just use that when the time comes. Yeah. Well, Larry, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this awful disease. And again, I want to just reiterate, guys, disease is out there. It's been around for a long time. I think the worst part is the hopelessness of it, the lack of treatment. The One thing to say, there's no cure. It's another thing to say, there's not even treatment. You can't even go through the motions of getting better, (laughs) right? I mean, it would almost be better if somebody said, here's a placebo. Yeah. Well, and Joe... I wanted to thank you for doing this. I, I, I you know, uh, the, the, you reaching out to me and, and setting this up means a lot. It's because the only way we're going to solve this is through a huge grassroots effort. And uh, to everybody out there, I, I, when I, whenever I hear stories like this, I always am momentarily touched and think I need to do something. You know, I want, I want to do something dramatic. Give. Give some, give them fifty, a hundred, whatever I can afford, because I was really touched by this. But in the end, I never give them fifty bucks. And I, honestly, if everybody in the world that was hearing this gave three or four or five dollars, we'd all be better off than you know thinking about giving fifty. So get out there and do what you can. Yeah, it's really true. And again, I I feel like uh, we we've been doing this Ukraine Ukraine Logistics Coalition. And I know now everyone's saying, Joe, why aren't you doing logistics anymore? We're all this charity stuff. But these are bigger problems. When you see what's going on in the Ukraine and you say, I'm watching it. And it's to sit and, and I almost feel complicit not to do something. How can you watch that happen and say, well, that's not my problem. I'm my, we're not getting bombed. Thank God I was born in the USA. Thank God my, my country's not getting bombed. This is the same thing to to watch people go through this. And again, Larry, you're not the only one I've seen with this. And and you don't need to see it personally to, to know this is just an awful disease. And again, we've done how many, and I'm not against cancer research. I'm not against heart research. And these are killers too. This is just one that has to get added to the list. We have to spend the money. Um, so please give, please, and also please share this. If you can, please share it with your friends. ALS.net, which is ALSTDI. Again, they are really working hard on developing these drugs. Very committed folks over there. I think all the Major League Baseball on June 2nd is going to have all sorts of different charities. Please reach out to any of them because I think there's another a very big need in this charity is for individuals. The expense that they're going through is to Larry just already pointed it out. There's a lot of people who, in addition to not uh, ever going to get better, they're also don't have enough money to even survive. Yeah. Um, so we got to do a better job. Anyway, my friend, I hope you feel better. <laughs> I hope, <laughs> and uh, I look forward to seeing you when you visit in the summertime. Thank you, Joe. We're, we're, we're thinking about trying to come up to uh, see the Lou Gehrig Day at Comerica. So if we can make that happen, I'll let you know. 
All right. So thank you so much, Larry. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.